Hello, listeners. Welcome to season two of Everything Is Public Health. Now, due to some scheduling and also just a lot of current events that happened in the month of June and also beginning of July, we had to move the book club to the second episode of season two, which will come out next week. Don't worry, it is still happening. And now onto the first episode of season two of Everything Is Public Health. Welcome back to Everything Is Public Health. I'm MJ, and I'm Cass. So one of the many pernicious side effects of capitalistic system is that people are worth as much as they can produce. You're laughing already, <laughs> <laughs> not because I disagree with what you're saying, but I I've just missed this. It's still, you know, you just like go right to the right to the punch. Sometimes I want you to finish your thought, but then I want to bring us back to something we talked a little bit last year. But go ahead. Okay. Yeah. So one of the many side effects, pernicious side effects of a capitalistic system is that people are worth as much as they can produce. Right. The moment you can't work. You are essentially worthless, and therefore, by extension, replaceable. Well, and I think it's not just capitalism, although that is certainly an element. It's also an important element of white supremacy culture, which is quantity over quality. Sure. Like we only value things that we can measure. We value production. We don't necessarily value interpersonal skills or other things that are less quantifiable. So, I think it's yes, capitalism, but it's also a white supremacist capitalistic system. Yeah, in a lot of our history, those two are. Very tightly interwound. So, oh, absolutely!、Uh, you can't really separate the two. Interwound, intertwined, intertwined. <laughs> well, we'll come back to MJ can't English. It's interwoven. <laughs> MJ can't English. I like that. That's funny. Sometimes I say it's hard to math. New segment. <laughs>、um, but MJ can't English. That's a good one. <laughs> Welcome to、like、MJ can't English. Oh man, I haven't laughed in so long. <laughs> oh, I'm glad. I'm glad I make you laugh. That's one of the reasons we do this、oh, show. Okay. Okay. There are many reasons why someone suddenly may not be able to work. Disability being one of them. Workplace injury, which I'm sure we're gonna have to do a whole episode on about the history of OSHA and workplace injury. And、uh, yeah, people were dropping like flies before <laughs> until people stepped in,、uh, which we'll definitely talk more about.、Uh, but a very common reason, if not the most common, for why someone may suddenly be unable to work is having a baby. Yeah, you you know that it's coming, right? More for, or less. Well, for most people, there can be rare instances where people don't know they're pregnant, but You know, you have some advanced warning, but then when it comes time to give birth, you don't always know the exact day, and then you know things may you may suddenly have to leave the workforce. And this is something that women have, for sort of lack of a better term, been punished for. They may not have their job held while they're out. Their duties may be delegated to somebody else, and then when they come back, they don't have. The same tasks. We don't pay women general, as much,、yeah. <laughs> or like women who have kids may have a harder time getting into the workforce in the first place because of the hours of the day that they might be available. Yeah, you know, school hours, right? Yeah, <laughs> access to childcare and funding for childcare is like a whole separate thing that we、oh, should yeah, talk about sometime. A different kind of warm, yeah. <laughs> but we know, you know, there are varying measures and things. But women don't get paid as much as men. Do in general, and even if you correct for some differences in the types of jobs worked, women still make only about eighty-eight percent of what men make. Yeah, and this is sometimes less so now, but like in the early days of the eighties or seventies, I don't know how early it's the early days, but yeah, they wouldn't even hide it. They would just say, "Oh, you're pregnant? Okay, we're gonna lay you off now." Like it was very. Obvious what they were doing when it comes to a pregnant woman, like they either just won't hire them or they just lay them off right away. And so for now, we're going to skip the part about why there were more women entering the workforce during that period. 
The key is that from the 1950s onwards, more and more women were becoming a part of the workforce. And anyway, that was the trend, right? Did, did you know how companies typically justified for their actions? Well, my assumption and sort of my understanding back from the time is like, well, you're not doing work for me, so why should I pay you right. to sort of go have a baby and then you come back and maybe you've lost skills or we've lost time on a project or whatever? Yeah, so that was their traditional justification, and right, and this is this is the the econ bro justification <laughs> of like, well, you're not working for me, <laughs> why why should I pay you? Right, the standard economics way of justifying things, and this worked, right? This argument worked until 1978. Eventually, people recognized that essentially what they're doing is discrimination against women. It took so long for people to make that connection. Yeah. We, we don't know why it took that long, but actually oh, I know, we know exactly why. why. We won't get into it, but we know why. In 1978, the Pregnancy and Discrimination Act was passed, which basically said you can't treat women employees unfairly because of pregnancy and childbirth related issues. And that was sort of the first turning point in the US history and parental leave. One thing I've noticed whenever I do research about the history of any US policies is that it is always depressing. <laughs> like 1978, that's so late. It is very late and it doesn't feel like all that long ago. But keeping in mind, women for a very long time were a really small part of the workforce. They were either intentionally boxed out or held out of the workforce or held out of particular kinds of roles. And so, yes, 1978, but like not that long before that, women weren't even considered like people who had the right to vote. So like it's, yeah. you know. <laughs> Progress is baby steps. <laughs> right. Yes, it's not that long ago, but also in the grand scheme, you know, it wasn't until 50s, 60s, 70s that more women were entering the workforce and that this became sort of a larger problem. I'm, I'm not saying it shouldn't have been addressed when it was a smaller problem, but more people were like, oh, wait, we can't keep letting this happen. And so we need to address this. So how was it before 1978? Right. So like many things, it was up to the state and the employer, right? No standards set on the federal level. So it's the states go wild with whatever bar they want to set, which is going to be a theme in season two. And it's important to know that in this law in 1978 was a very low bar. It's it's like a you can't do this, not a you have to do this, right? Do you know what I'm talking about that difference? Yeah, we've talked before about the role of the government in protecting, sort of proactively advancing something versus saying, well, we're going to protect it by not letting you do something. And I think yeah. those end up with very different solutions and activities as well as different results. So this is very much a, we're going to protect you in air quotes by saying employers can't do a thing as opposed to proactively saying the things that employers have to do. Right. But at the very least, this law sets the foundation, I guess. It's a very low bar, but it's a bar nonetheless for employees to bargain successfully for parental leave because this sort of sets the precedent that there is a law like this now. So while it didn't mandate employers do anything, it did give a lot of employees leverage. And more and more companies eventually, I don't know, what's the right word? Enough people complained that they change was done. But this is as a company and company state by state basis. But there were also a few landmark court cases that upheld various state laws about requiring employers to grant certain things. For example, in California during that time, four months of leave and the right to return to the same job was upheld by the Supreme Court, I believe. Uh, I'm not sure if it's the state Supreme Court or the actual Supreme Court, but it was upheld. And eventually, this got enough widespread support that in 1993, the Family and Medical Leave Act 
was passed in 1993, which is, you know, again, not that long ago. Not that long ago. You weren't even alive in 1993. Close. (laughs) Close, but not quite. No, I think what you were talking about in terms of choices being made at the state level or even by the employer related to leave is similar to what we saw happening with employer-based health insurance. There were wage freezes and employers wanted to recruit people. And so they started offering employer-based health insurance. This is slightly different, but still like there was something that needed to be done and employers were taking some action on their own potentially as a way to recruit people into their company. Yeah. So this sort of became quote unquote part of the package. Right. So that's our current legislation today, right? Yes. We have 12 weeks of paternal leave for companies that at least have 50 folks. And it's not just parental leave. You've got medical leave in there as well. So if you experience some traumatic injury, you can get leave. Lots of details in that law that obviously we're glossing over. But the general gist is that that law, the law that we have is 12 weeks of parental leave. Do you think 12 weeks is enough? I don't think it's enough. I mean, there are other economically (laughs) peer countries that do 12 months of leave. There are even some some countries, there are even some companies in the US that do much longer leave because people recognize that that time with a new child, whether it's a newborn who was person who was pregnant, gave birth to a child, or you adopt a child, that time to bond is really important, not just for the mother, but also the father or for the child and and these pieces. And so a lot of places are recognizing that. And I don't think 12 weeks is enough. It's better than nothing, but that's that's (laughs) maybe not. Better than nothing is a very low bar. The status quo is maybe not what we want it to be. Yeah. So, I mean, 12 weeks might be a little nebulous because not a lot of us thinks in weeks. So that's about what, three, three and a half, three months, three and a half months ish. Well, there's four weeks in a month, about, right? so about three months. four weeks in a <laughs> so, month, but you know, the months have varying days, right? Yeah, like only yeah. February is actually four weeks long. Which is about three months. And then you might think, oh, three months, that's a long time. But think about it. Like three months takes you from a newborn to a three month old, right? The three month old, it's not suddenly going to be independent. Right? You still have, you still have a long what? time. Three month olds can't take care of themselves. I'm so shocked. <laughs> yeah. So the WHO actually recommends at least 16 weeks. So we can't even do that. We can't even meet the floor that the WHO said. And also, I'm not sure if listeners notice, uh, I was very careful to refer to this as parental leave because Cass, would you like to do the honors of revealing the punchline? It's unpaid. All that discussion we just had was about unpaid parental leave. Yeah. So the United States, the parental leave, it does not require the employers to pay you. It requires the employers to like you take a leave and then come back without firing you. But they do not have to pay you during this time. They can't, obviously. And to this day, America does not have any laws on the federal level regarding a paid family leave. In case you're wondering, that is not the norm against similar countries. Quiz time. First time in season two. Oh, super. <laughs> so we are obviously last place with zero. Second to last place with Ireland. Even they have this number of weeks. Would you like to take a guess on second to last place? Of paid weeks? Paid, yes. 12. Okay. Second to last place, is <laughs> you're too generous to them. They have five weeks. Five weeks, okay. Of paid leave. But you know, with us having zero, they're still doing better than us. Yeah, that's fair. The majority of the countries, comparable countries, they have this many weeks paid family leave. Obviously, there's a huge variation, but the vast majority, I want to say two thirds, have at least this many weeks. 20. Close, about 16 to 18. So two thirds of comparable countries have 16 to 18 paid family leave, which is, again, like, at least they meet the WHO minimum recommendation. 
Um, now, this is something I did not know. A uh, country with the most weeks of paid family leave. I want to say it's like a Scandinavian country. Oh. Like Sweden or Norway. Oh. But I'm not 100% sure. So this country with 86 weeks of paid leave, <laughs> that is more than a year, is Estonia. I don't even know where Estonia is. Estonia? All right. Good for you, Estonia. Yeah, 86 weeks. But Sweden is up there. Sweden have, let me see, Sweden, 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 the Ikea. Ikea, <laughs> Ikea country has 42. I knew they were close to a year, so that's why I was... Paid. Yeah. That's the key difference. They also have really high tax rates yeah. because they have a very generous social support system because they say like which makes sense because you need this right but everybody benefits because everybody pays a fair share mm -hmm. as opposed to our country like, <laughs> that's fine. To <laughs> so obviously some states have paid family leave right uh would you like to guess the usual suspects for states with paid family leave i would guess like California, yeah, New York, yeah. <laughs> um, I throw Connecticut in there, maybe. Uh, yes. Let's see, where else? New Jersey. Uh, yes. Does Maryland have paid family leave? We do. Okay, all right. Was it four for four or five for five? Okay, You're, yeah, sounds good. Colorado. Yep, they have a law, but not a program. But you know, they they at least have a law. Washington State. Uh, Washington State, yes. Oregon, D.C., Rhode Island, Massachusetts. Oh yeah, I should have thought more about the. New England area. Anyway, all right. I didn't get any wrong, so I'm feeling pretty good about good that. Good job. Better than I did on the quiz. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a usual subject. So we do have states that have paid family leave, right? And obviously, even in states without a paid family leave law, there may be employers that have them, right? But that's not the point, right? Because by not having a federal floor, we are missing so many people that could have benefited from this, right? And I think it's a trend in America to sort of say, well, if the company wants to do this, if the state wants to do this, they can do this. But just think of the number of people that we're missing. Well, I mean, we've talked about a federal floor in other topics before, thinking just something that is near and dear to my heart for better or for worse <laughs> is gun policy, right? And so the federal government sets the floor. You must at least meet these criteria to buy a firearm. And while it's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, there's at least something. Yeah. And so not having anything, like you were saying, there's so many folks who just have zero benefit. And we know that there's a lot of important things that are yeah. happening <laughs> during this time. Exactly. So how is this related to public health, right? So there's two main buckets of reasons why paid parental leave is so important. The first one is biology. Having a baby is very physically demanding. Absolutely. There's a lot of stress put on the pregnant person's body. Postpartum care is really important. So it's not just like you have a baby and you're magically, you're magically okay, right? <laughs> up and ready to go, right? Like sometimes you have surgery, right? If you need a C-section to deliver the baby and then you need follow-up care because of that, you just generally need to heal. Like we don't need to get into all the details, but there can be tearing and all sorts of awful, uncomfortable things going on. Thinking about some people who have given birth struggle with breastfeeding their baby, and so you might need training or classes. There can be a lot of issues with your own digestion and making sure that you're eating enough so that you can properly you know, produce breast milk for your baby if that's an issue. But I think another really important piece that folks don't pay enough attention to is a potential for postpartum depression. 
And if you don't have financial stability because you don't have paid leave and you aren't able to stay home and sort of heal and do what you need to do, not saying that immediately going back to work is the thing that triggers postpartum depression because that's not, but it can be harder for people to identify and treat postpartum depression if the person who's given birth isn't given the time to do the follow-up, see their physicians, bond with their baby. Yeah. Depression sucks. It's tough, especially postpartum depression where you the mother is placed in such a vulnerable position in, in their life. The second bucket is childcare and having a baby is physically demanding, taking care of a baby is extremely challenging as well. Absolutely. You can have lack of sleep or or sort of sleeping in really short spurts, which doesn't help A, if you have to go to work the next day, or B, if you are experiencing postpartum depression and then you're not sleeping, that can sort of feed in on itself and create an even larger issue. You know, you got to get up regularly to feed the baby, change the baby, rock the baby, all of those things. And then after you have maybe gotten in into a routine, maybe, then you need to find childcare so that you can now go back to work because you have such a short amount of time allowed to be home bonding with your baby. Yeah. And finding childcare is also not that easy nowadays. No, it's not. It's not. I have some friends who um, you get onto a wait list. For childcare. The minute you become pregnant, you get on a wait list and like maybe you'll get in a slot when your baby's two. Yeah, it's tough out there, especially nowadays. (laughs) So like, what do you do in the meantime? And, you know, when you think about high quality childcare that is affordable, it's really challenging. But I think a really important point that's, oh gosh, I don't remember who made it, so I'm not going to try to guess, but I was listening to an occupational health and and well-being lecture, and somebody was talking about lost wages as a result of leaving the workforce, because often people who have babies, they feel like, well, I don't want to work just to pay for childcare, right? Because childcare can be so expensive, and depending on what your job is, you might be just barely working enough to pay for daycare. But the flip side of that is, if you leave the workforce, you're losing those raises, you're losing wage increases and and experience so that when you do re-enter the job force, you're way behind in earnings than you would have been had you stayed, even though all your funding or all of your salary was going to a uh, childcare. So there's there's like some double there. Yeah, of course. And I think it's important to stress now that paid family leave is not just unpaid family. They're not equivalent because even if the company promises to not fire you and that you can come back, a lot of people simply cannot afford to not have income. And that's why paid family leave is so important. Similar to how people divide up their insulin to make it last longer, this is a situation where people are incentivized to make the choice that is not the best for them, i.e. returning to work when they really need the time to like do childcare, which kind of ties into what you were talking about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think this is a podcast about public health. And so we're we're always trying to lift up these pieces, but public health is focused on the health and well-being of the population as a whole. More than half or so of the people who live in this country are women or sort of at least born as the uh, female sex. And so this is a large proportion of the population who may be giving birth or who may choose to have a baby. And if we're not thinking about the ability of these people to contribute to the (laughs) success of our population by having a child, right, sort of continuing our species, but also sort of supporting them so that they can be contributing members after taking taking time away to bond with their families like it's it's really counterproductive to public health to not provide more supportive and paid family leave for not just people who give birth, but their partners, spouses, etc. Yes, we didn't even emphasize that. But yeah, like it's not just 
the mother, right? It's the family. That's why the term is paid family leave. Listeners, you have reached the end of the main part of the episode. Uh, the following segment is just further discussion about the similar topic. But uh, yes, the main part of the episode is over. This episode is brought to you by Have You Registered to Vote Yet? Please register to vote. Please, please vote in the midterm election. Yeah. We've talked so many times about the importance of voting in every election, voting down ballot, making sure that the folks who are elected to represent you are reflective of your values and priorities. Yes, please. How familiar are you with like feminist philosophy and discourse? <laughs> Why is it blank stare back at me? Um, no, it was like a, a dramatic pause. Um, to be totally honest, not really. I mean, I know that I know of some key authors and some key theories and things like that, but it's not something I've ever immersed myself in. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, like I am by no means a, a feminist scholar. When doing research, this thing came to my mind, which is when women entered the workforce, it was a very peculiar interaction because it was originally like two parents and two kids, and then the mom stayed at home while the dad goes to work. But because of historical reasons, women started entering the workforce. And one of the things that I think Betty for Dan talked about was how instead of responsibility distributing, women simply just got more responsibilities. Like they had to take care of the home and work. Yeah, I I saw this just terrible tweet oh, by God. this dude who was like, oh, I got a PhD and then in 10 years, I you know, or it was like over the course of 10 years, I got a PhD, uh-huh. I became a CEO, uh, I, tweets, I had six yeah, kids, <laughs> like, how did I do it? And, and you know, he's talking about, oh, I planned my things and this and that and the other. And then somebody was tweeting, it's like, oh, I got a PhD, you know, over 10 years, I got a PhD, I did this, I got six kids, and my wife did literally all the housework <laughs> like, and all the household chores and raised my kids and also had a job. And it's just like, so, so messed up. But I, I appreciate your point. And I think something that a lot of listeners might not know when women were entering the workforce because of whatever reason, the right, wars yeah. and, and men being shipped away, like all, all of the reasons, they had proven that they could do the work. <laughs> Even like, you know, baseball. I always think about a league of her own, a league of her own, a league of their own. Uh, that I don't League know. of their own. Her own. Anyway, the point is like people recognize the value of women in the workforce and then dudes came back. And women just got ousted from the workforce. But then people really quickly forgot the fact that, oh, they could do the work, but now they're doing the work undervalued and they're having to still deal with all the responsibilities at home. Yeah. And I think this is just like a a double capitalism in a sense that it was originally one earner could support the family. Eventually, it got to the point where you need a second wage earner to support the family. But this second wage earner are also disincentivized to, but like when they need to have a kid, they're all of a sudden like not valued. And it's like a double suck 
for for women who are forced to work but also can't work because of all the stuff that's in their way like it's like they have nowhere to go yeah i mean think about like paid sick leave yeah <laughs> and you know if you get sick and you don't have paid sick leave that you know that can create problems but if your child gets sick and you don't have paid sick leave, like what are you supposed to do? You can't leave your tiny child at home alone. But if you leave your job, they might fire you, right? Uh, yeah, so it's just right. So people choose to not, you know, they might change shifts with somebody or something so that they are not having to work, but they're also not getting paid. And then that creates other yeah. issues about, you know, economic stability and all that kind of stuff. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Everything is Public Health. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe and spread the word so more and more people can learn about the awesomeness of public health. Remember that the midterm is upon us, so please make sure you are registered to vote and vote. New episodes are released every Thursday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please give us a rating and a review wherever you listen to your podcast. It does help the show immensely. Send us questions or comments to everythingispublichealth at gmail.com. Reach out if you think we miss an important perspective or suggest a future episode topic. Follow us on Twitter at everythingisph or Instagram at everythingispublichealth. You can also find me on Twitter at Dr. Krafasi. If you want to support the podcast directly, we have a Patreon page. You can find the link in the episode description below. And remember, everything is public health. Everything is public health.